Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Gabriel. I have the pleasure of being able to introduce our speaker today. Um, uh, he's a good friend to all of us, uh, Michael Gregory. Um, he's our pastor of uh, the Bridges Church Plant. As, uh, and um, if any of you have spent some time with his family or visited and, and, or had a meal with them, you know that um, he's a good man to come up to speak to us about generosity. Um, he and his family really show um, generosity with time, with, with resources, with money. And if you haven't had a chance to get to know him, definitely come say hi afterwards or give him a call. He is generous with um, time throughout the week also. So if any of you need somebody to talk to, he's a great resource. Um, so uh, let, me, let me pray for uh, Michael as we, as we um, lead into the sermon time here. Dear God, thank you so much for your, your greatness, your, your, your providence for every single one of our needs. You've always been so faithful. And I think we all know that from, from the bottom of our hearts, Lord. Um, I pray that you would um, just uh, anoint Michael as, as he preaches your word to us today. Um, give him the words to, um, to really um, make clear um, your scripture. Um, help, help him to speak directly into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that more than just hearing your word today, that it would be something that goes through and really lodges in our minds so that we have to really think about this and, and chew over it, and then it becomes something that just uh, becomes reality in our actions, Lord. Let us really be hearers of your word tonight, and, and not just, uh, uh, let us be doers of your word tonight, and not just hearers. Um, so make, make this a reality in our, our community, in, in our city, um, to your glory, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Gabe, thanks for that very generous introduction. Uh, it really is always an extreme pleasure to, to come back to The Way. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Michael, as Gabe said, and I was a church planting apprentice here at The Way for three years, and um, it's just always, yeah, a thrill and pleasure to come back and be able to see friends and get assaulted by JD and Brian Yap when I come back in. So thanks again for having me. Um, so we are, we do this, we've done this the past few years, and it's a really fun way for us to kind of keep having overlap as our mother church and our church plan, we're starting a three-week series on generosity. And uh, when you hear this, I feel like Chris preached the first part of the sermon beautifully in the announcements. Uh, when we think of generosity, the first thing we probably think of is money. Yeah, right? So, um, but there's any number of um, organizations or companies or individuals who aren't believers who are incredibly generous with their money. We probably know a lot of these people. But Christians are actually called to live generous lives. And so what we say often during our time of offering is, again, what Chris said. It's, it's a response. It's a continuation of worship. Looking at what Jesus has done, he's given us everything. He gave us his very life. And this giving back to him is just a response of someone who has been infinitely generous already towards us in Christ. He laid down his life to give us new eternal life. And so the creator and the sustainer of the universe, he doesn't need or he isn't after a few extra bucks, but he's after our hearts. And so far from, from coming and giving us rules or commandments that try to stymie our joy, we're told in the Bible that Jesus actually desires our good. He's a gracious, loving father who longs to give good gifts to his children. And is there any more generous, over-the-top gift than the gift of the cross, the laying down of his life, for his friends, for you and me. And so because Jesus has been and is, continues to be just infinitely generous towards us, his call to us, his followers, 
It's a generosity should mark uh, not just how we view our finances, but it really should mark a corner in every aspect of our beings and our lives. And so today we're going to look specifically at generosity as it relates to our time. How are we called, how are we enabled to be radically generous followers of Jesus as regards our time? And so I'm going to read for us from John. This is John 15. Uh, Brian, I'm going to read starting in verse 5. So just, I think it'll start with verse 12 maybe, so you'll, you'll catch up. Um, but hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 15, verses 5 through 17. And this is Jesus speaking. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this, my, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this than someone lay down his life for his friends. If you, you are my friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. God's, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Let me pray for us before we get going. Father God, we thank you again for the immense privilege of being gathered again, once again, with brothers and sisters. Father, we may be searching tonight, maybe having plenty of questions about who you are and your nature, um, but regardless, Father, we all come with the same desperate need, and that is to encounter the living God. So we pray that through the power of your word, through your spirit, that you would meet us here tonight, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive this very, very good news that is life itself um, in the person of Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so a few months ago, a terrible fear of mine was realized. Um, a couple months ago, I was at a nine-week Air Force training, and I was a part of a 15-person group called a flight. And so each week, uh, our flight instructor would order someone into his office, and he would make them the flight leader for the week. And so the flight leader is like literally the most stressful job or role that I can think of. Uh, you are in charge of everything for the week, getting your flight where they need to be, marching them around. You got to make a bunch of decisions that have huge impact on the other members of the flight. And so it was a very vocal lead from the front with your outside voice kind of position. And if you know me, I don't really like being the guy, the one who's up front at the microphone. And each week that came and went without me being commanded in there and told I was going to be the flight leader, which was just, it was a huge relief. 
Uh, but one fateful Thursday afternoon, I got the orders to report to my flight instructor's office, and he sat me down and he instructed me, he commanded me, that beginning tomorrow, you are the flight leader for the week. And I thought, I've asked for this in prayer and you did not hear me, God. Like, there is no way, I thought, that this could be a good thing for me, receiving this command. And so I was terrified. I had seen everyone go before me, just stumble and fail and get yelled at a lot for the whole week. And I thought, this is what's coming for me. This is going to be terrible. All of my weaknesses are just going to be exposed. They're going to be ripped apart and they're just going to be put on display for some 500 people to see. But that command that I received ended up being one of the most transformative weeks in my life that I really can remember. I got incredibly close with the other 15 members of my flight. Um, I saw, especially just as Jesus was made great and put on display, especially and particularly through my weaknesses, uh, I felt my own identity become more and more shaped around who God is, who Jesus is, and way less around whatever it is that I thought that I could bring to the table. And so I tell you that story that has nothing to do with time or generosity, because I hope that sometimes we can all see that commands really are good. When someone shows up and they have a command, we don't, we're not going to naturally maybe have ears for that, but sometimes people know better than us, and that is certainly always the case when it comes to God and his infinite wisdom compared to what we would naturally choose for ourselves in our finite wisdom. Amen. And in this passage that I just read for us, in John's, John's gospel, we see Jesus come, and he comes with one of his primary commands to his followers. And it's a command that is incredibly time-consuming, that requires radical generosity. And that is the command to love, the command to be a friend. <clears throat> Does anybody have any water? Actually, I'm sorry, I'm like dying up here. Taylor's like, I trust you. Is that okay? I'm not sick. Okay, thanks. Sorry about that. Uh, but before Jesus gives us this command, um, in verse 12, there's about five times immediately preceding that. Um, thanks, Gabe. You're so generous. I appreciate that. Uh, that Jesus comes, and uh, before he gives that, that command to love, right, he comes and he says, abide in me, abide in my love, rest in my love. And Jesus says in verse 14, essentially, this is what friends do. You're my friends if you keep this command, if you abide in my love, and if you love others with the same love that I've loved you with. So first we abide in the love of Christ, and then we love others how he loves us. And so inherently the call to, to love others in friendship is the call to invest our time radically and generously in friendship. And friendship is the key to way more than we've got time for to unpack tonight, but I want to look at three things. I want to look at how important friendship is. I want to look at why it is so hard. And lastly, I want to look at how we can friend, if we can make friend a verb this evening. Uh, why friendship is important, why it's hard, and how we really can friend, how we can give generously of our time towards this. So first, why friendship is important, and I would actually argue why it's one of the best uses of our time. So again, we hear a lot of commands in this passage from Jesus, right? He says, abide, love, keep these commandments. And maybe you hear those commandments, and maybe you feel like an Air Force officer training, just kind of getting barked at by a drill instructor. Maybe it sounds overbearing, kind of restricting, or maybe it sounds like it's kind of impinging on my freedom. 
when Jesus comes with a command to spend your time pursuing, loving others and friendship. And for us living in such an individualistic culture where the self is prized and the self is trusted, I would say, above everything else, our natural response to someone coming and making a demand on this is how you should spend your time, that might sound either maybe oppressive or maybe even just very unenlightened. But I am pretty sure that all of us here could do with some more joy. This is what we're really trying to find with how we invest our time, isn't it? We're investing our time, spending it, looking for ways of how do we get joy, how do we squeeze more out, how do we maximize our joy by how we use our time. That's why we say yes to certain things and why we say no to others. That's what our pursuit of money or relationships or leisure is all geared towards, hard striving for joy. And what we're told in verse 11 is that Jesus' heart, his desire for us is to be filled with his joy. That's the heart behind this command. It's why he gives it to us and tells us to go and love others in friendship. Jesus longs to give good gifts. And so first, investing our time in friendship, Jesus tells us very plainly, this leads to joy. And hopefully, uh, to some degree, we've all experienced this to be the case, right? That friendships bring joy. But there's a difference between being friendly and having friends. There's a difference in, in showing kindness to others and really extending ourselves and pursuing them in love. In verse 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. That is, a true friend doesn't have a key to your house so they can come in and clean. A true friend has a key to your house so they can come in and eat with you. Friendship isn't one person dictating the rules of the friendship or kind of keeping the other person at arm's length, sort of like a superior, subordinate relationship where one has the questions and one has the answers. But through his life, death, and resurrection for you, Jesus has made a way for those who were once far off, sinners like you and me, to now be brought all the way in, into his home, into a very personal, intimate relationship that he calls a friendship with the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And that takes a tremendous, tremendous amount of generosity to open yourself up like Jesus did to the needs of others where now they can affect you. Now they can, they can make constraints on your time. They can need you and they can even hurt you. To move from a master-servant relationship where you're the one setting the terms of the relationship to bringing someone all the way in as a friend that takes a tremendous amount of generosity. And that's exactly why there is no joy without generosity. Because there's no joy without friendship and there's no friendship without generosity. Does that make sense? Like we can't have joy without generosity, without generosity, joy without friendship. And there's no friendship intimately like this without generosity. And so we're commanded by Jesus to love others in friendship, but to do so, again, it's, it's gonna make tremendous demands on our time. It takes generosity, but again, that's precisely the means and how Jesus wants us to be filled with his joy. It took ultimate generosity on his part, the laying down of his life. And his command to us is to love others in that same radically generous way, which on the surface, sounds kind of impossible, doesn't it? To call, the call to friendship, it's, it's costly. And we're gonna draw this out more in a bit, but our quest for joy, all the ways we try to invest our time in this pursuit of joy, Jesus says very plainly, if you wanna maximize that investment, if you really wanna find it, 
you have to invest your time in friendship. If you want joy, the road to joy goes directly through friendship. Friendship is also so important and it's a command worth devoting our time and ourselves to you because we're, we're told here in this passage that friendship is an eternal investment. In verse 16, we're told that we didn't choose Jesus, but he chose us and then he appointed us to bear fruit and he says, that fruit that's gonna come through that friendship will abide. That is, it will last. And this is in line with the great commission in Matthew 28 when Jesus uses his final words to his friends to give a command. He says, make disciples of all nations. So the command is not just that we should aim for seeing people come to faith in Jesus, but that we should make disciples. Again, that's a radical call to give your time away, to do the work of walking alongside others in deep, committed friendship where you're teaching one another learning from one another, preaching the gospel to one another, and receiving the gospel from others. That's time. And this is how the church, again, and the followers of Jesus differ from other really generous organizations or institutions or individuals. The mission of the church is to make disciples. Not simply to share our faith or care for widows and orphans, which are all great endeavors that we're also commanded to, but the unique mission of the church is to make disciples. And that kind of fruit lasts. It is actually eternal, and it only happens in the context of friendships. So think about that again for just a second. Friendships are literally eternal. So you won't be a spouse in heaven, but you will be a friend. You won't be a teacher or a CEO or a pastor or a doctor, but you will be a friend for eternity. So when you invest time in friendships and you're doing that hard work of being known and you're sacrificing, you're taking initiative, you're supporting, you're receiving, others speaking into your life, when you're generous with your time as a friend, you're investing in something that is eternal. You're building into and investing into an eternal soul. And Jesus says, this is going to abide. Your friendship, your love will abide. And Jesus says earlier in chapter 13 of John, we, I think we saw this earlier, how you love one another in friendships. The outside world looking in on how you are loving other people, they're gonna see that you're my disciples, that is, they're going to come to know Jesus. It's a pretty good argument that finding a friending is the best way to spend your time because God is gonna use that love, your friendships, to bring others into saving faith in him. But it's not just a forward-looking eternal significance. Jesus here tells us that we were actually created to abide in him, that he's the vine and we're the branches. And apart from him, verse five, he says, we can do absolutely nothing. Without the life that the vine gives us, we simply wither and die. So maybe it sounds extreme to say that we cannot live whole, joy-filled lives without friendship with others and without friendship with God. But again, when we look at God, Friendship is central to his very nature. And friendship is also, therefore, wholly central to the very image that he created us in. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, has eternally existed in perfect relationship. And Jesus, when he came to earth, what does he do? He still keeps pursuing friendships. He was part of a perfect relationship, yet when he came to earth, it was still so important to him that he pursues us in friendship. He was part of a perfect relationship, and yet he still comes and he's looking 
to spend his life in friendship. And so if friendship is central to who God is and we were created in his image, it has to be vital for us as well. And Jesus tells us in verse 12, abide in my love that others, and, lo- and love others that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And I'm not certain, but I think that Huey Lewis might have been reading this when he wrote that that's the power of love, right? It might just save your life. Like, this, again, this is joy that we see coming through friendship. But it's hard. Being generous with our time towards cultivating and loving in friendship is really difficult. And this passage gives us two reasons why. The first reason we find being generous in time towards friendship is so difficult is because we tend to think that we're our own. We think we belong to ourselves. And therefore, of course, we are going to naturally want to reject commands like this to love. Because if we're our own, that means we're responsible for not only finding what it is that's going to give us joy in our life, we're also responsible for um, deciding how it is that we're going to spend our time. How are we going to go and look for that joy? But what Jesus tells us here is that we are absolutely anything but our own because he laid down his life to make us his friends. The Apostle Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians when he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Beloved, we simply just do not belong to ourselves, but we were designed and we were knitted together by a relational God, a God with whom friendship was so important that he, again, he left that perfect relationship in heaven and came and he died on the cross to reconcile sinners like you and me. Right, people who want to be their own gods, who want to decide for ourselves how we're going to find joy, how we're going to spend our time. And while we were still doing that, while we were still his enemies, he died to make us his friends. But we've been kicking against this authority, we've been kicking against this command and this kind of God, this kind of friend, since the garden. Because again, we think we know what's best for us and our joy. This is the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden, the lie that God is holding out on us. He doesn't really want us to have joy to the fullest. Uh, and we know better than our creator. So let's, let's spend our time searching for joy on our own, apart from him. And that's really what sin is. Sin is pride. It's pride that tells us that we don't need God and we certainly don't need to give generously of our time sacrificially towards cultivating friendships that he says, if we can trust him, will lead to joy and salvation. We think and we act like we belong to ourselves. And the second reason investing our time in friendship is hard is because it takes death. Death always comes before life. For there to be love, there first has to be death. And if you look at every great story, whether you're reading Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, every single story, I spent like 30 minutes thinking about every story, and there is death and sacrifice. I guarantee you in every single great story that is compelling because of the friendship and the love that is found in that. When you commit to a spouse, you're saying, I'm gonna sacrifice other potential relationships. When you commit to a friend, you're saying, I'm gonna sacrifice time that I could be spending elsewhere. I'm gonna spend it with you. I'm gonna let what affects you affect me. I'm gonna let it affect my calendar. I'm gonna let it affect my time. To be a friend means you're saying yes to others and you're saying no to yourself. And that's why it takes generosity, and that's also why there are absolutely zero shortcuts to the joy that Jesus tells you that he wants to fill you with. If you want that type of joy that Jesus promises that will fill you, first it takes dying. It takes dying to yourself, it takes dying for others. And so is there anything more difficult or attractive than this? 
Right, our natural bent is we are curved in on ourselves. Our sin nature causes us to look to ourselves and our own interests first, which again is the opposite of being generous in relationships, right? Uh, which is why, again, there's nothing more joyful than being the recipient of a friend who's being just wildly generous with you with their time. It's a sacrifice that we see and that is incredibly, incredibly attractive because, again, we know that at the center of that sacrifice that they're making, it's death, right? It's time and energy. Friendship is expensive. It demands your most valuable resource, which is your time. And that's why it's such a lavish gift to both give and receive. And precisely because it is such a lavish gift, it's both incredibly difficult to give and receive it because, again, it takes a dying. And if you're the one that's being generous with your time and your friendship, you're dying. But if you're the one receiving the generous amount of time, you're also accepting someone else's death and their sacrifice for your benefit. But that's the only way that being a true friend is actually possible. In Jesus' greatest moment of need, as he's facing the cross, his so-called friends are absolutely nowhere to be found. And over the past few years, Jesus has given them absolutely everything. He's washed their feet, he's served them and taught them and prayed for them, cared for them for years. Yet they can't be troubled to give of their time to their friend when he's sweating blood in agony and he's facing the cross. And then they're nowhere to be found as he's then led away to be executed on the cross. And if, I think if you and I were in Jesus' shoes and we'd been let down so badly, we did so badly by our friends, would we be that quick to forgive them and want to restore a friendship with them? So before the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you see the disciples and they are anything but generous in their friendship with Jesus or with others. They're kind of looking at what they can get from him, right? Jesus, let us, one of us sit at your right hand when you enter your glory. How can you benefit me, Jesus? But yet they're nowhere near him when he needs them. But when Jesus meets them, he goes and finds them again and calls them back to himself after his resurrection. He moves towards them. He eats with them. He spends time with them. He walks with them. And through such a radically generous friendship where they receive forgiveness that they absolutely know they do not deserve. And they receive this generosity that they absolutely know they do not deserve or they haven't earned it. It's by receiving that death that the disciples finally get the meaning of Jesus' death. It's for God so loved the world that he sent his son to die that whoever believes in him, receives him, will not die, but will have eternal life. Again, death had to come before love was received. And when the disciples receive the death of Jesus, as they resume their friendship with a resurrected Jesus, we see it change not only their lives radically, but it changes the entire course and history of the world. And that is the eternal impact of friendship. Becoming a friend of Jesus is the only place you will find life-changing joy that literally lasts into eternity. And I know living in and pursuing these types of friendships is easier for some and it's harder for others. And if you struggle with friendships, I want you to see again just the patience and the commitment of Jesus to be your friend. He does not give up on his friends. They never wear out his patience. He is always faithful and abiding. And so if you feel frustrated or grieved maybe with where your friendships are at, Jesus knows what that feels like <laughs> to the infinite degree. 
And he gave his life so that one day, if you put your faith in him, you receive him, you abide in him, you will experience the perfect relationship, the perfect intimacy, the perfect friendship that Jesus has enjoyed from all eternity. We'll get tastes and we'll get glimpses in this life, but a day, there's some coming, when you will experience perfect community with Jesus, yes, but also with your brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you tonight. And so how can we practically apply this truth, that because we really have received the most generous gift in Jesus, that we then can move out in faith to pursue friendships as he's commanded us to do. I have a set of just three questions I've borrowed from one of my seminary professors, Dr. Aaron Minikoff, uh, who had a really helpful article online. And these are questions that you can reflect on tonight or this week that might reveal like maybe where you're holding back in friendships or where you really might not be believing exactly what it is that Jesus has made possible for you today. So the first diagnostic question is, do I take initiative in my friendships? How easy is it, especially if we felt slighted by a friend, to tell ourselves, well, he or she has a phone too, they can call, when it's really just like much easier to turn on Netflix instead of risk the chance that your friend actually is available for a coffee or a meal. Taking the initiative can be hard and scary, but it really does become less so when we see and we remember again that while we were still enemies, Jesus chose us. While we were still kicking against him and rebelling, he set his affection on us and he died to make us his friends. Um, We can take the initiative in our friendships because we are no longer dependent on the highs or the lows that that friendship gives us. That's not where we have to find our worth, our identity anymore. But in Christ, we have the freedom to pursue others because he has already perfectly pursued us and perfectly secured our friendship with him by by, by uniting us to himself. And so do you take the initiative in your friendship? Second diagnostic question is, do I sacrifice in my friendship? Again, love demands death. So are you willing, after a long work day, to keep that dinner appointment with a friend? Are you willing to give up your day off to sit with a friend who's going through a rough time? And again, we see the way Jesus spent his time on earth, which is completely others-oriented. He's spending his time right now as he is praying for you. Without ceasing, he's praying to you for the Father. And again, this is the generosity that we've not only received in the past, but that we are literally benefiting from right now as your Savior is praying for you. He sees your needs, and he's moving towards you and taking you closer and closer into the heart of his Father in prayer right at this moment. So we can sacrifice. Are we sacrificing for our friends? The final diagnostic question, do I turn to God for friendship? Uh, If Jesus is not the ultimate person that we are abiding in, then we're gonna look to our horizontal friendships and we are going to try to squeeze out of those things, things we were never ever intended to squeeze out of them. We are never gonna find our true identity in other relationships. We're never gonna find perfect, true, lasting intimacy that we are longing for. But Jesus says a day is coming when you will be with me perfectly as my friend. We'll be together as a family, the body of Christ, perfectly united, lacking nothing, in the love and care and grace and fellowship of our Heavenly Father. That's what's coming for us believers in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that, again, you would meet us as we reflect on your word, as we come to your table and see again the lavish generosity of Jesus, how you spent your time here loving, extending yourself, caring for us, 
and how you're spending your time now still interceding, praying for us to your Father. Father, you are a good God, good God who longs to give good gifts to his children. I pray that you would soften our hearts, enable us to receive this, to receive you um, this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.